want to talk with you guys today about community with purpose. We, as a people, have been called into a community. I'm thinking about 1 Peter chapter 2. If you want to look there with me quickly. We're going to be the majority of the time in 2 Corinthians today, so hold your place there if you're already there. But 2 Corinthians 2, when Peter writes this to the early church. So, put away all malice. All deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Notice that terminology there. Individually, we are being put together like stones into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion the stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. Notice all the collective terminology that Peter is using there. He really wants us to see each other as a community, a unit, individuals, but individuals comprising a family. And this, I love this terminology here, a people for his own possession, a people for his own possession. And you see this kind of action of the Lord throughout the scriptures where he is identifying a group of people to be his representatives to the nations. In the Old Testament, obviously, it was the people of Israel that has transitioned now in light of the new covenant to the church. A people for his own possession, that, right? So there's a purpose to this people that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, so we are called to be a community. We are called to be a people for his own possession. We are saved, yes, from something. We are saved individually from sin. This is, of course, is the centerpiece of the gospel. Jesus came to rescue us from our depravity, from our separation from God. He took upon the wrath of God. He was our wrath bearer so that you and I could be restored, receive the grace of the gift of Jesus Christ to live as we were created to live, to glorify the Lord. That is all true. Individually, you and I were saved from sin and from the consequence of sin, the wrath of God. But we were also saved to something. We are saved from something, but we are also saved to something. We are saved individually, but we're also saved to be a corporate community that proclaims the excellencies of God. We are saved from something as a community, but we are called in that community to be a part of a community with a purpose. This community that has been created is a community with purpose. And this purpose is revealed to us, of course, in the, the words of Jesus himself, who in his 
final words to his disciples, both at the end of Matthew and the beginning of Acts, give to us a great commission, a great purpose, right? You're familiar with this. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, these people, this community that I've built up, these disciples, go therefore, make disciples, more disciples, you who are disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Both of those decrees are not just given to individuals. They are given to the community that Jesus is fashioning to accomplish the greater restorative work of the gospel. All of the effects of sin, all of the, the, the depravity that we see around us, the cultural depravity, individual depravity, yes. All of these things, though, are meant to be overcome through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that large calling is a calling to the entirety of the community, not just individuals. It's a very important discussion or topic for us to have because... So much of the American culture today is very individualistic, right? Even in the church, we talk a lot about how Jesus came to save you, and you can have a personal relationship with Jesus, and that you need to pray the sinner's prayer individually. All those things are very much true. But in the course of trying to show you how Jesus impacts you individually, I fear that sometimes we encourage that individualistic tendency to continue in the church and fail to recognize that you and I, as called individuals from Jesus, also have a shared responsibility to each other. That yes, Jesus has saved you individually. He has saved you from sin and your future, your individual future of wrath. But he's also saved you to be a part of a community of people. God himself is community, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we are called to live in community because we are made in the image of God who is himself a communal God. All right? So this community has been created with a purpose, the purpose, the great commission to continue the ministry of Jesus until he returns, a corporate calling. And isn't this a testimony of Acts? We see the Holy Spirit of God working through his people to accomplish his purpose. And this community aspect is essential because, number one, the calling that Jesus has given us is hard. It's a hard calling to overcome the effects of sin in the world. And number two, it's essential because the calling is big to the ends of the earth. The calling is hard. Jesus said, they rejected me, so guess what? They're going to reject you. And we see this on display in the book of Acts. There's rejection, there's persecution that sometimes is attached to the overcoming of sin because we are at war, right? There's a spiritual war going on. We wrestle with powers, principalities, not the flesh and blood. There's there's this cosmic battle going on that is the center focus of the gospel mission in the church. But it's also a big calling. When you hear Jesus say, hey, go to the ends of the earth, that's a long way, right? I know Leslie and them are, uh, Leslie, our, our missions minister, is in a team in Fiji right now. And they had 
a 15-hour leg on a plane. That's a long way to go spread the gospel to someone, right? To the ends of the earth is a long, big calling. And so we need each other. We need the community of faith to accomplish this calling. The church must proclaim the gospel to one another in order to proclaim it to the world. This is what I see happening in 2 Corinthians today. This this calling upon the church, this calling upon the community of God to take the gospel to the ends of the earth requires a community who preach the gospel to itself in order to accomplish the greater purpose. Here's what I mean by that. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 2. Let me turn there quickly. It's a really interesting passage from Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians. Here's what he writes. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. I preached to you which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And here's the gospel outlined. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, then in there, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. Now, interesting here, the way that Paul speaks about the gospel, right? He talks about it in the, in the sense that it's a saving element for us, right? That uh, we are, as I said earlier, saved. We are, we are uh, rescued from our sin, from the wrath of God as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the impact of the gospel does not stop there, right? He says, I preached to you what you received. It was a saving thing, but it's also the way in which we stand as Christians, right? We are continually being saved. Now, we want to be very clear about our, our, our salvific terminology here. There's a, there's a moment of salvation, right, where we are declared holy and righteous before the Lord. There's also a continuing effect, though, wherein we grow in greater ways into the calling that God has placed over our lives, right? So uh, we, as a, as, a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, have to um, bring our flesh to use a, a Pauline term, a, our flesh into alignment with what God has already declared over us as a result of Jesus. Does that make sense? And in order for us to accomplish what God is calling us to accomplish, both as uh, an individual to walk as, in holiness as God is holy, but also as a corporate, corporate group of holy declared people, uh, there's a better term. You know what I'm talking about, right? Everybody there? Okay. Uh, but also individually, corporately, the calling that God has placed over our lives to take the gospel to the nations also requires the gospel. We have to speak the good news of Jesus Christ to ourselves continually to accomplish all that God has called us to accomplish. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves, to one another, in order to accomplish the greater purpose of the gospel. Do you see how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what Jesus did for us in accordance with the scriptures is truly the centerpiece of all that we do? It's our saving source. 
It's also the source of the ministry that God has called us to in light of our salvation. And this is what I see Paul doing in 2 Corinthians, and truly all of his writings, honestly, but I'm just going to point it out today in 2 Corinthians. All right? So let's read together 2 Corinthians. One to ten-ish, somewhere around there, all right? Before I do that, let me just share with you, I found a, a really good article from a guy, well, yeah, I think Paul wrote this. It's certainly about Paul Tripp. Um, Paul is just a, a, an influential Christian thinker, theologian. Let me see if I can do this here. About... And he's, he's writing here about this idea of preaching the gospel to yourself, okay? And that's going to be really hard for y'all to see. Mm, I don't know how to fix it. Well, can y'all see it? Okay. Those of you who have really good eyes. If not, uh, we love you. And just put on your good ears, okay? Because I'm going to read it for you. All right. It's a really interesting quote here. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. So observes Paul Tripp. And in doing so, he accents our need to daily preach the gospel to ourselves. In our sin, we constantly find our response to life and our fallen world to be disconnected from the theology that we confess. Anger, fear, panic, discouragement stalk our hearts and whisper a false gospel that will lure our lives away from what we, what we say we believe. The battleground, says Trip, is meditation. What is it that is capturing your idle thoughts? What fear of frustration is filling your spare moments? Will you listen to yourself or will you start talking? No preaching, not letting your concerns shape you, but forming your concerns by the gospel. I like that. Forming your concerns by the gospel. Preaching the gospel to ourselves is a spiritual discipline that is both proactive and reactive. It's reactive as we encounter temptation and frustration and seek to restock in the moment, or as we reflect back on our sin and circumstances and try to evaluate them with gospel lens. But it's also proactive. It goes on the offense. When we feed our souls in some regular rhythm before the events and tasks and disappointments of daily life begin streaming our way, Trip counsels that we make it a daily practice to gaze on the beauty of Christ. That's good, huh? Gaze on the beauty of Christ. Two, remember who we are as a child of God. And number three, rest in his power and provision. And four, act in reliance upon him. That's good, right? Gaze on the beauty of Christ. Remember who we are as a child of God. Rest in his power and provision. Act in reliance upon him. Now, here's what I'm saying today. That's true as an individual, yes. And Paul is speaking out specifically as an individual, we are called to do this. But I'm saying corporately, as a body of Christ, we also need to do this. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We also need to preach the gospel to each other. As a community, we need to often gaze on the beauty of Christ, right? What other source of worship is there, <laughs> If not beholding the beauty of Christ and the work of Christ, gazing upon it, and then in light of that, proclaiming our worship of him, right? Remember who we are as a child of God. That's what we're doing in moments like this, right? Where we get up and we proclaim the word to each other. We're saying, you are a child of God. 
God is going to be faithful to you as a child of God. Here's how he's been faithful to his children throughout the years. Trust in his faithfulness, okay? Rest in his power and provision. What circumstance is going on in your life? Guess what? God's bigger than it, right? And then act and reliance upon him. In your everyday lives, choose to act and reliance. We need to be communicating that to ourselves, but also to each other to accomplish the great things that God has called us to accomplish, okay? So let's see how Paul does that in 2 Corinthians. All right, here we go. Verse one, <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. So he's not writing to an individual, right? He's writing to a body of people, a community, all right? Remember that, a community of people. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Now, because we've been walking through Acts, you know what a tremendous statement this is for Paul, right? So hold on to that. Think about what you know from Acts, what's all been going on in Acts, as we think about what he's writing here in 2 Corinthians. Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those. Now notice that, right? He comforts us in our affliction. So, hey, when I'm being stoned and left for dead, he's comforting me. But why? Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So whatever God is giving us, he's calling us to give it to others in the community. So with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, okay? For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. It's what Jesus did. It's what I'm doing. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. That's a big statement. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make... us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So notice there again, he's encouraging them, but he's saying, you must help us by prayer. There's this reciprocal kind of relationship in the community, okay? So what we see here is the church proclaiming the gospel to one another in order to proclaim it to the world. 
So I want to show you how Paul is doing this and creating a community with a gospel-centered purpose. A community of people who understand the need to, uh, to preach the gospel to itself and what that accomplishes moving forward, all right? So number one, a community with purpose, the purpose of the Great Commission that understands the need to proclaim the gospel to one another, provides encouragement to one another, all right? So notice here, we just pointed out a minute ago, verses 3 to 7. Blessed be God who comforts us in our affliction, that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted with by God. Verse 9, he's teaching us as he's comforting us to not rely on ourselves, but on God. He delivered us from deadly peril. He's proclaiming these things. He's encouraging each other. He's showing that, all the things that he told the Corinthians about the gospel when he first went to Corinth, all the things that he proclaimed about Jesus, all the things he proclaimed about God is absolutely 100% true. What Paul is showing them is he's, Paul is allowing his reaction to persecution to be an encouragement to the Corinthians who themselves will receive persecution so they can know how to respond in a way that glorifies God and builds the church. He's saying, hey, this is what happened to me. Here's how I responded to it. Here's how God showed himself faithful. So you can trust in him when similar things happen to you. You can trust in him to know that he will prove himself faithful. Isn't it always true? But in our darkest moments, God reveals himself in, in, in ways we could never have imagined. He proves all the, the, the truths of Scripture in those darkest moments. He shows us that he truly is everything that he has proclaimed he will be. God is our very present help in time of trouble, the psalmist writes, right? But how can we know that fully if we're not in a time of trouble? And yet, whenever trouble comes our way, we have that Scripture in our minds written by the psalmist, who himself was in a time of trouble and saw that God was an encouragement to him so that when you and I read it hundreds, thousands of years later in our times of trouble, we could know, we could align ourselves with our brother who has come before us that God is a very present help in time of trouble. He wrote it to encourage us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage the Corinthian church to remind them, hey, listen, even though you're in the midst of dark, hard times, God is faithful. Be encouraged. So what's Paul going through that would cause him to write this? What is Paul going through that allows him to set an example? Acts 19, stuff going on in Ephesus, right? There's a temple to Artemis there. How much time do I have? I just love this speech given by this guy. If you want to turn to Acts 19 with me, I feel like it's just worth reading because it's just a really funny story to me. All right? So this is what's happening to Paul in Ephesus, and it's probably uh, the background for what he is writing to the Corinthian church, okay? Um, You also see this. Uh, he also mentions uh, some things that he went through in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-two. He talks about how, what good is it if I fight with beasts if there's no resurrection? We don't really know what beasts means there. Is he actually fighting with beasts in prison? Or is it just a more, uh, metaphorical kind of thing about the type of people he was dealing with, right? But there's some crazy stuff going on in Ephesus, 
either actual beasts or people that could be con- compared to beasts, right? It's 1 Corinthians 15.32, I think. He, uh, Mark deals with that in his lesson. There's also this going on in Ephesus, okay? So, now after these events, Paul resolved in his spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and, come, and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, now notice there, he's got helpers with him. We're going to come to that in a minute. He himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Again, that's a term of Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. So this is a very idolatrous town, and the business of building idols in the image of Artemis is really going well. They are making a lot of money making these images of Artemis, okay? So obviously Demetrius is concerned when Paul comes in and says, hey, Artemis is a false god. You're wasting your money on all these artifacts, okay? These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. He's a very practical man, all right? He's going to get a little more philosophical in a second, but notice where he begins, all right? You know that we make a lot of money building this stuff for Artemis. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Newsflash. Shocking. Things that you can cultivate with your hands did not cultivate you. (laughs) And there is danger. Not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, that's his chief concern, but now he gets very, he gets very um, um, what's a good word here, uh, puritanical. I don't know, like very, very uh, spiritual, I mean, very uh, spiritually concerned, let's say, uh, but after, as an afterthought to his financial concern, all right? So uh, there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come in disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence. She knew all Asia and the world worship. Oh, Art, no. yes, we're going to lose all our money, but oh, don't, don't forget about Artemis. Oh, oh, all of Asia worship, plus we're going to lose a lot of money, <laughs> right? I mean, all this other kind of stuff, right? So obviously there's great, There's a mob that comes up. They have to get dispersed, what have you. But anyway, just a background of what Paul is experiencing in Ephesus. He's affecting the economy of Ephesus. The gospel is affecting the economy of Ephesus. And of course, riots break out. So riot stuff going on here. You've seen other things happen, you know, where he's been kicked out of places. He was run out of Thessalonica. He was run out of Berea by the same Thessalonians who run him out. He was left for dead, as I said earlier, after being stoned. Thing after thing after thing, he is being confronted with as he's proclaiming the gospel. And yet he has the faithfulness to declare to the early church in light of all that's going on, in light of the, the riots, in light of the stoning, in light of the not being able to stay in certain places I want to stay. God is faithful. He is the God of all comfort who can comfort you in any circumstance. That's a good thing to hear, isn't it? It's a good thing to hear. When you read what Paul went through in Acts and you compare that to what we go through in our lives, 
if Paul can say that God's comfort is greater than anything that I went through, certainly then we can apply that same truth to our lives. That's what he's saying here in 2 Corinthians. We suffered for your benefit. So we could show you that we believe, number one, what we say we believe. And number two, God is faithful even in the midst of that persecution. We must do the same thing, guys. We have to allow the faithfulness of God to permeate our lives. We have to continually tell one another as a community how God has been faithful to us. Why? Because the mission is hard. The mission's hard. There are going to be times when you and I are sharing the gospel and we're going to get rejected. We're going to get beat up. Think about our global brothers and sisters around the world who daily have to decide if they're going to church today is worth my life. They need to know that God is still faithful, that he's still bigger than that circumstance. We need to communicate that to one another. We need to to build each other up by saying, this is how God showed his faithfulness to me this week. This is how God showed his faithfulness to me. And we need to brag on him so that those around us who are in a dark time can be encouraged by what God has done in our lives. When we come together as a community, that's part of the point. Is that we tell one another, hey, this is what God has done in my life over the past week. Oh, hey, you prayed for this last week. God incredibly answered this prayer. Be encouraged that God is faithful. So that then you can go back out into the the culture we are called to reach. And with that kind of fuel of encouragement, be faithful to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. Okay, let's move on from there. So, a community with purpose provides encouragement. Number two, a a community with purpose builds up future generations of leaders. Because this community understands the bigness of the gospel, right? Think about Paul's ministry right? Paul was in the habit of, from the beginning of his ministry, of ministering with other people, right? Even in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, who is he writing with? Timothy, right? But from the beginning, Acts 13, Barnabas and Saul go out together. Then after the split over John Mark, Acts 15, 36 and 16, 5, Paul goes out with Silas, Acts 18, he, he gathers Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. In Philippians 2, 19 to 30, he describes Timothy as his son in the faith, Epaphroditus as a brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier for the gospel. Paul makes it a point to bring along people with him for two reasons. Number one, so that when he's out on mission, he can have someone there immediately with him who can encourage him. But number two, because he wants to build people up to leave them in places where they plant churches. Titus, Timothy, these guys. He saw it as his responsibility to entrust the gospel to future generations. So there's a a sense in which we are uh, all present with each other. We're encouraging each other presently. But then at the same time, this gospel uh, consciousness understands that there's going to be a time when Paul's no longer there. And so he needs to, to invest to share with others for the future of the church because he understands the purpose of the church is beyond just one generation. 
He needs to share with a future generation the things that God has taught him so that future generations of churches, after he's gone, can encourage one another, build up, and continue the ministry of Jesus. He writes this in 2 Timothy 2, 2, right? Entrust to faithful men what I have taught you so they can entrust it to others also. I'm paraphrasing there. Don't look at the Greek of that. Now, certainly there were times where, you know, Paul had to minister on his own, but that was not his preference. He wanted to minister with people. He wanted to build people. He wanted community. And Jesus did the same thing. In Mark 6, 7, when Jesus sends out the disciples to start doing their ministry, he sends them out in twos, right? So we need each other to encourage one another. We also need each other to accomplish the ministry that God has called us to accomplish. It's not good for us to go out on our own to minister. It's not good for us to go on our own. We need to be together in community, even when we are accomplishing the mission of Jesus. Why? In faith, we go out in threes. On the mission field, IMB, we don't like to send people on their own. We like to send them in groups or to be a part of community or teams because it can get very lonely on the mission field. Very lonely. When you are isolated in a different culture that you're trying to reach, we're going to all the nations, all the nations, right? There's some cultures out there that are very, very different than the American culture, right? There are some places in the world that are very isolated. And if you go on your own, certainly the Lord can, can you know, provide you with comfort and things of that nature. But he's also provided for you in the community of fellowship of which you are a part to bring someone with you. So you have a a human who has the same desires, the same loyalty to the Lord, who can encourage you when it gets tough. I talk to people in like premarital counseling a lot. And I say, you know, there's going to be times where one of you may want to to pack up and leave, right? That's where the other person has got to remind you of the covenant that you made to the Lord to be in this to the end, right? You need some, you, it's got, both of those people in the marriage have to remind each other of the covenant that they made at certain times. And all of you are, are testifying in your heart, I know, especially if you're sitting beside your spouse, <laughs> you may not want to say it out loud, all right? But I, I say it to you as a picture of what God is calling us to do as we go out together. We shouldn't, we, we should try as best as possible to not go alone. Because there are going to be times where you may want to pick up your stuff and move out because it's very hard. About William Carey, these other missionaries who spent years, years with no fruit. But it's so good to have someone there with you who can remind you in your darkest moment of why you went in the first place. And then, if you're an older person and they're a younger person, when you leave the ministry or when you leave this world, they can continue the ministry that you invested in them, the way that Timothy, Titus, Epaphroditus, all these other guys did with Paul. There's a dual element there. Number one, it's encouraging, obviously, but number two, it sets up the church with future generations of people. Timothy, Titus, they saw firsthand, they just didn't hear with words, they saw firsthand the way that Paul stood in the face of persecution. As a result, they were able to lead the church with integrity and faith, even in his absence. Okay, number three, a community with purpose, sacrifices for the mission of God. 
If you look back in 1 Corinthians 16, it's part of our lesson for today. Paul writes about the need in Jerusalem for a collection. Um, collection for the saints here in 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those from whom you accredit by letter to carry your gifts to Jerusalem. There's a sense in which the community of churches sacrifice for the good of the community of churches, right? And then later in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul encourages the Corinthian church for how they have sacrificed, but encourages them to sacrifice in greater ways. And he compares them to the church in Macedonia, right? We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, which I think is the most oxymoronic text in all of Scripture for an American, right? Think about that. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Anybody here ever thought those two things could go together? No, but we see it all the time. When you go to a third world country, you see this true. But overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They were extremely poor, yet what did they beg for? Verse four, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were begging these poor people, not for them to be given something, but for them to share in the relief of the saints. Why? Because they knew that this big thing that God was calling the community to required sacrifice. Required sacrifice. We give whatever we have to the Lord to use however he wants to accomplish this. Antioch, the sending church for Paul and Barnabas did the same thing. In Acts 13, there's this list of really incredible leaders in Antioch, two of which are Saul and Barnabas. And the Lord says to Antioch, hey, these pastors you've had the whole time you've been a church, I want you to send the two best out to go take the gospel to places that has not been taken. And what does Antioch do? They don't complain. They send them out. They say, you know what? God gave them to us. So we're going to be good stewards of the leaders that God has given us. We're going to send them out. Because they understood the call of the gospel, the Great Commission, was greater than just their church. It's bigger than that. And what we see throughout the churches in the, the churches in the early church in Acts and Corinth, obviously Macedonia, is that a church that our community of people that get the, the Great Commission, that get the, the hardness and the bigness of what God is calling us to, will sacrifice for the mission of God. And finally, A community with purpose recognizes its need for all people to accomplish its mission to reach all people. I've talked about this throughout 2 Corinthians, but I just want you to notice in 2 Corinthians 4, which is also part of our reading for today, the communal language that Paul uses when he writes to this early church. I'm just going to read a little bit from chapter 4 to prove my point. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. 
We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of, of Christ, who is the image of God. For we, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as our servants for, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us, but life in you. So just notice throughout Paul's writing, he wants everybody on board. Everybody on board. If there's, if there's an issue in the church, he's going to call it out. He's going to bring about spiritual discipline for them to bring them back so that they can become a part of the greater community's mission to take the gospel to the ends of the world. Everybody has to be a part in the church. If you're already in the church, everybody be a church. Get this understanding. We, 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 our, our, us, us, all of us are needed. All of us are needed. No one can be left behind. God did not save someone that is useless in his kingdom. All of us have specific things that God has given us, spiritual gifts, talents, abilities to utilize in the church to accomplish the greater purpose of the church. And we need everybody to do that. And globally, take it to the next step, we need everyone globally to accomplish the great commission. I think about um, when I was in Kenya last time, uh, they were building new roads everywhere. And the roads were being built by the Chinese. So I already stick out like a sore thumb in Kenya, obviously. This tall white guy with you know, brownish blonde hair. They don't see a lot of those over there, okay? So I was stuck out like a thumb. But when you're driving down the road in Kenya and you see a Chinese man on the side of the road, they really stick out. So you think about, okay, what are they doing here? They're building roads. But here's the cool thing about that. The gospel's exploding in China, right? And these Chinese people, Chinese men, are getting to build roads in places or do, do construction or go into places that you and I as Americans could never go. The Chinese can, and many of them are Christians. And so they're getting to go into places that you and I cannot go as the American church, as the Chinese church, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We need the Chinese church to accomplish the Great Commission. Do you see this? So, and as, a, as champion Forest Baptist Church, we need everybody to accomplish our mission. But even as the global church, we need each other to accomplish the mission, and everyone is needed. There's no one who we can throw aside or left out. We need this communal language all the time. We, 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 our, 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 us, us, us. Because to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, it cannot be an individual thing. It's too big. It's too hard. But let's take the example of Paul that we see here in his writings. And let's commit to be a people with a purpose, a community with a purpose, a greater purpose than just us having our needs met. 
but the purpose to accomplish what Christ has called us to accomplish, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So, some questions for reflection for you guys, which apparently are really hard to read. All right. Number one, are we a community with a purpose? And think about the levels of community you're a part of, okay? Number one, is your family a community with a purpose? Is the Lanier Life Group community with a purpose? Obviously it is. We're trying to gather people in. You're having barbecues. You're going to England to facilitate community for a greater purpose. Champion Forest, obviously. We're trying to be a community with a purpose. Think about these things. Are, you, are we a community with a purpose? Number two, who are you doing ministry alongside? Is there someone that you connect with that you're doing ministry with? Are you doing ministry at all? And it may help you get into ministry and be more effective in ministry if you have someone who's holding you accountable in it. Hey, let's go do the homeless ministry this week. We're going to do ministry this week together. Let's go do the homeless ministry this week. Or we're going to England. We're going to go to England as a team. Be part of that team. Number three, who are you encouraging? Are you allowing the faithfulness of God that he has displayed to you be an encouragement to other people around you? Are you speaking those things to, to people to show, hey, this is how God is, is faithful to me. Be encouraged. And then finally, how far are you willing to go for the Great Commission? What are you willing to sacrifice? Like we see the churches in the early church sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for how you are shaping us into a community with a purpose. Help us to not take for granted our responsibility to each other. Our responsibility to encourage each other our responsibility to build each other up, our responsibility to sacrifice, and our responsibility as the the global church to each other to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Father, we want to be your people, a people for your own possession that accomplish your purposes because we want to honor and glorify you in everything that we do. God, we love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen.